We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, which is on page 807 if you're using the Pew Bible. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, page 807. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. You can be seated as we pray. Father, give us eyes to see clearly Jesus, just as you have revealed him in this passage. By your Holy Spirit, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We have just eight verses before us this morning. Eight verses, eight well-known verses, right? This is the Christmas story. Certainly Luke's Christmas story with its focus on Mary might be a little bit better known than Matthew's with the focus on Joseph, but well-known nonetheless. And I'm convinced of this. If we are able to see Jesus as Matthew presents him in these eight verses, seeing him that way will transform us. I'm convinced of that. If we can just see Jesus as presented here this morning, that will transform us. I think of, um, in Mark's gospel, there's a story of Jesus healing a blind man. And it's an it's a interesting story because Jesus actually heals this blind man in two stages. So he's, first he's blind, and then God gives him sight. And when he opens his eyes, he can see, but he can't see clearly. So he can't even tell the difference between a person and a tree. The people look like trees walking around. 
And I think sometimes that's kind of our view of Jesus. Like we got the hazy details right. There's something big moving around up there. And, and it's enough for us to know we love him. It's enough to know that we need him and we're devoted to him. But in Mark's gospel, Jesus takes that blind man and does the second stage of the healing. And now he's able to see with pristine clarity. And that's really my prayer for these eight verses this morning and our whole study in the Gospel of Matthew. That as a result of looking here, it won't just be this hazy picture of Jesus, but we will see Jesus with all the clarity that he's presented in the full counsel of God's word, that we would see him accurately with 20-20 vision. I am asking in prayer that the Holy Spirit would do for me and for you what Jesus did for that blind man and allow us to see. Because I believe if we see Jesus with such clarity, we will be changed. Now, if we're going to understand this story rightly and see things clearly, we actually have to go back. 700 years before this story took place. We need to consider Israel in that time. They were dark days for Israel. They were bleak. Sin was rampant. The world was broken. And the people living in Israel that day, some of, it sensed, some of them sensed it more keenly than others, but they knew they lived in a broken world. There were deep cesspools, pockets of, of immorality and injustice. There was also at the same time a, uh, a vain religiosity, a feigned piety, where people came to look good at the temple, but inside, filth and brokenness and the same sins at work. Now, you can imagine the kind of climate that created cynicism, uh, pride, depression, all the rest. Into that environment, God sent a prophet, prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah brought a word of judgment. God is going to deal with all this wickedness. But he also brought a word of hope. And in Isaiah chapter 7, one of the things that the prophet Isaiah says as a word of hope is he says, I'm going to give you a sign that these things will take place. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel just means God with us. Okay, that's the word of hope. There's more. And this is what's interesting. As Isaiah's message continues, you start to get more and more confused. What exactly is this word of hope? Because then, just a chapter later, Isaiah prophesies that the darkness is going to be broken by a child, a son, 
who is called Mighty God. So it sounds a little bit like this virgin child, God with us, the child of the virgin, God with us. But he's said to be an offspring of David, or to sit on David's throne. And it says of him, to us, or it says about this child, it says, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So there's this picture of hope that Isaiah is painting. Uh, offspring of virgin, but also descended from David, God, and yet he's a son and a child. It looks like he's going to be a government ruler, and he's going to bring peace and justice. Well, all the way at the end of Isaiah's gospel, or Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 63, it describes this figure coming in, who again is the one bringing deliverance, and it describes his garments, they look like they're drenched in blood. The mighty warrior king coming in, having vanquished his foes. This is the message of hope. Seems a little bit like there's a lot going on there, Isaiah. What all are you talking about? But it gets even more complicated. Because you not only have the mighty king, son of a virgin, but offspring of David, God, but also man, all these things. But you also have in Isaiah 53 this picture of what's called a suffering servant. Not at all. This is again a picture of hope. And yet of this figure it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Again, great words of hope. Our sin's going to be dealt with, but not at all the kind of picture you saw with this mighty king who's the government's on his shoulders and he's striding, striding in, garments stained in blood. Instead, we have this broken, suffering servant. That's the word of hope God gave 700 years prior to that bleak situation in Israel. And so they wait, Israel, scratching their heads. It's interesting to read some of the things that are written about the book of Isaiah in the inter interim time, trying to figure out, is this two or three people? Are there four people? What's going on here? How is this all going to make sense? What, what should be taken literally? What should be taken figuratively? Because it's hard to make a sense of all that. So now fast forward 700 years to our passage. Verse 18. 
Now the birth of Jesus Christ, or you could say origin, or even the Greek behind the word is Genesis. Now the Genesis of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And it tells us, focuses our attention on a young girl, a young lady, who likely at a very young age, the parents had gotten together and arranged or engaged these two figures, Joseph and Mary, in marriage. They were connected in marriage. They come of age. Now they're an age where they can marry, and they have entered into betrothal with one another. I know it doesn't make sense because it's not how we do things, but basically this betrothal was... uh, saying, okay, the engagement that was set up, we are now committing one another to this. It was, it was legally binding to them such that if it were ended, you had to send a certificate of divorce. You could even call each other husband and wife, though you didn't have relations with one another during that time until the marriage was consummated. And so you have this young couple full of life and full of love and As we see from the rest of Scripture, even in Joseph's description as a just man, these were good kids. Kids that we all believed in. Kids that just endeared trust in the younger generations, right? Can't wait for Mary and Joseph to get together and start their family. Then scandal of all scandal happens. Sweet little Mary is pregnant. Think of the scandal that would cause today if something like that happened in our church. And yet, it was much less common, much more scandalous then. Pregnant. But even worse, Joseph knew he was not the father of that child. Can you imagine what Joseph was feeling in his heart then? Mary he'd grown up with. He knew her. Sweet Mary. They'd known they were going to be married for so long. They'd entered into betrothal with one another. And now she's pregnant. And he didn't do it. Sure, he had feelings of jealousy and anger and rage and all these different types of things, the flood of emotions that would come over someone in this. And yet he was a just man. And so he concludes that though it would be unethical and wrong for him to marry her, which in those days it certainly would have been considering what had gone down, if she had had relations with another man, which she seemingly had at that point, he still wants to treat her rightly and not shame her. And so he is considering things. He is weighing things. What is the right course? How do I do this the right way? How do I behave in a way that honors you, God, through this? Okay, I think what I'm going to do, in fact, I'm resolved that I'm going to just quietly, not in a public way, but quietly divorce her and this betrothal. My heart's broken. And then, as he sleeps, an angel appears to him and tells him that this child is not born from another man, 
Mary has remained chaste. She is actually pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And this child, Joseph, is to take as his own and name him like a father would do for a son and call him Jesus. Joseph awakes from the dream. And he's very careful to follow exactly what the angel said. So he does take Mary as his wife. Yet, he knows her not. And then the son is born. And as his adoptive father, he calls him Jesus. That's the story. But there's a few things in this story that Matthew really wants to draw our attention to. And you can tell it because the way he emphasizes them within the story. So the first thing that's this strong emphasis that we need to see about this Jesus is that he is born of a virgin. So look with me at verse 18. It says, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, See that emphasis? This didn't happen because she had union with somebody. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Again, emphasis on how this came about. She is not pregnant by another man. She is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And then look forward to verse 20 when the angel speaking. He says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. See the emphasis? And then, if three times is not enough, there in verse 25, talks about how he takes her as his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Matthew wants us to see Joseph was, sorry, Jesus was born of a virgin. A miracle. Even the plot, as I retold it, revolves around this because Joseph is thinking that's not how it came to be. So there's this tension. What is he going to do? And you feel the agony of Joseph, right? And you're in the midst of that story. What is he going to do? The way Matthew tells the story sets you up to be... Why is Joseph with her at the end? What has happened that this just man is willing to take somebody who is pregnant, not by him? It's because Joseph is convinced that she is not pregnant because she has been with a man, but because of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that hovered over the face of the waters at the genesis of creation now hovered over the womb of a virgin at the genesis of recreation. And just as that formless void of creation burst forth with life, that untouched womb burst with life. As the eternal Son of God, the second member of the Godhead, was forever bound up in human flesh. 
at that moment and then forever, fully God and fully man. Born of a virgin. Could it be, could it be that this, this Jesus is the one foretold so long ago by Isaiah? Matthew's point of emphasis, born of a virgin. But there is something else he wants us to draw our attention to. So look at verse 21. Right there in the middle, you shall call his name Jesus. And then verse 23, quoting Isaiah, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which Matthew translates for us. And then verse 25, and he called his name Jesus. Matthew is fixated on the giving of names. There's something significant about these names. Now, names are interesting things. I, uh, the first church I served in a full-time capacity at was College Church. And I'm going to list some of the names of the various ministries of the church. We're going to play that, uh, that game, One of These Things is Not Like the Other Ones. So listen to these names and pick out the one that's different. Hayaks, Pace Setters, KMs, College Group, Teenagers, Stars. Those are just a few of the names of the ministries. Did one stand out to you? college group. All the other ones you hear and you have no idea what they're talking about. What is Hayek's? What is KM's? But college group. I think we know what that is. That's the group for people in college. It's a name that accurately described what it was. Well, according to the angel, that's exactly what's going on with Jesus' name. The name Jesus was a common name. But the significance, according to the angel, is that it is accurately describing who Jesus was. So the, so the name Jesus has two parts to it. The Jih is short for Yahweh. And the Sus is short or is, is from the word say, that where we get saves or in the Hebrew where they would get saves. So Jesus just means Yahweh saves. That's what the name Jesus means. His name is Yahweh saves. Hey, here comes Yahweh saves walking down the street, or Yah saves is really how it would be. So that's what the angel says. You shall call his name Jesus, for he saves his people. Now put yourself in the shoes of those people that day. Think back to Isaiah's prophecy. Here comes Yahweh saves, and he's going to save his people. What are you expecting? You're expecting somebody to come who's going to save them from that cruel Roman, oppressive Roman government. Or maybe he's going to save us from the unsavory people who have now kind of, the immoral people have kind of infiltrated into our, our Israel. The corrupt religious system. He's going to save us from that. 
to look at what it says. It doesn't say he's going to save us from what's out there. He'll save his people, the angel says. He's called Yahweh saves because he will save his people from their sins. That is shocking. It's completely unexpected. No one would have expected that the Savior coming was going to be one who would come and save us from our own wicked hearts. A lot of times the way we tend to think, right, is we think that the problem is out there. So, yeah, I didn't handle that situation very well, but the situation was pretty bad. Uh, I remember uh, when I was in university, um, I was at my sister's place, and uh, I poured myself a bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios. I poured the milk on it, and I started eating, and I was like, these Honey Nut Cheerios taste really funny. I kept eating, and I was like, man, they did something different to Honey Nut Cheerios. Well, sure enough, as you probably are guessing, the milk was bad. But it was my first experience with a bowl of cereal with bad milk. And I kept eating it thinking it was the Cheerios that were bad, right? I think a lot of times we think that way, right? We think, I'm the Cheerio. And the reason I taste bad is because the milk's bad and I'm in the milk. If only Jesus would save us from the milk. A little after that, me and a few friends had decided to move into an apartment complex. And our goal was to minister to some of the people there. The landlord there was uh, not a very good woman, uh, very underhanded and, I'd say, dishonest. And it came time for us to renew our lease. And she had promised us that instead of living in the one bedroom, actually two different one bedrooms that were split between, she was going to allow us to move into a two bedroom if we had just signed the lease for the one year with the two one bedrooms. And our whole vision for ministry was kind of geared up toward getting this two bedroom. Sure enough, you can guess, I went to meet with her and she said, actually there aren't any two bedrooms that I can give you, which I knew there were. Where's the problem? It's out there corrupt woman dealing in an underhanded way. But you know what the real problem was? How my heart responded. I said, I'm going to claw and fight my, for my own way. I'm going to fight for what I need. I became defensive. I went on the attack. I spoke ill of her to her face. I leveraged everything I could to try and get my way. I was frustrated in my own heart. I had a roommate too. His name's John, or his name was and is John. And at least in that situation, John responded in a much more godly way than I did. He trusted God and he prayed about it. And it turned out that 
an organization called World Relief that had most of the tenants in the building heard through John indirectly what was happening, and they put pressure on Sue to make sure we got a two-bedroom, and boom, we did. The course I had us on would have had us kicked out of the building. You see, yeah, I was in a corrupt situation, but my heart was the problem. It was the sinfulness in my own heart. Over and over and over again, we see this. Our hearts are what's problematic with this world. When we look out at the brokenness, we can get frustrated with what's out there, but we need to see there is something wrong in here. This is one of the things that Matthew is hitting us in the face with. He's saying, you got to notice something. Jesus came to save. Jesus came to save. But what did he come to save us from? He came to save us from our own broken hearts that have been infested with sin and grime and darkness. Adam's tentacles within us. We need to see this morning with pristine clarity that our hearts are broken. They don't work. They're crooked. And if we see that with pristine clarity, then we can also see with pristine clarity Jesus. Yahweh saves. A name not like Hayek's or KM's, but a name that means who he is. Jesus, Yahweh saves. He saves his people from their sins. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. Do we see it this morning? Can we see that with 2020 vision? Our own hearts, our own need for a Savior, and that Jesus came into the world to save. Sinners. People with a heart like mine. And people with a heart like yours. It's not the only name given. Matthew brings our attention and reports his other name as prophesied by Isaiah. You shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. You see, the story of the Bible is that when Adam rebelled against God and took of the fruit that God had told Adam not to take, of this dark reign of sin and death began. A barrier was erected between God and man. In fact, that special place where God dwelt with his people, Adam and Eve were cut out from it, and an angel with a flaming sword was told to stand guard 
God and man were separated. And yet there's these promises throughout the Old Testament, these hints throughout the Old Testament that God is doing something. And so here in Jesus, in Jesus we have God with us. God Almighty incarnated, putting on flesh to come and deal with the sin that has cut us off. And he would, he would conquer sin on the cross and he would conquer death rising up out of the grave and make a way through the darkness so that God and us can once again have peace. God with us. In, our, in the new uh, spirituality of our day with Oprah Winfrey as the great prophet, we, we have this high view of kind of God's nearness to us. God is in me and in everything and we need to see the divinity in each other and of course God loves us and thinks we're great and we have a near God. We have a God with us and you know, that's kind of popular spirituality. And yet we achieve it by raising ourselves up as some, you know, just kind of, I think, unreasonably high view of what mankind is and what we're capable of. And then we raise man up and then we have to bring God down to our level and kind of remake him in our image that he doesn't, he doesn't this doesn't bother him, this doesn't bother him, he's like us this way. or in some of the other major religions, Judaism or Islam. God just stays up there. He has to be holy other than us because we're broken and we're sinful, and they, those religions understand that. And if God's holy, he must be separate from us, and he doesn't come down. But in Christianity, God is able to be with us because of what Jesus did. He satisfies the just anger of God towards sin. He, he deals with the conflict of, of sin that separates us from a holy God. And then in his love, he is here with us. God with us. Matthew wants us to see. Now, the birth or the genesis of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Verse 18 says. Verse 23, or sorry, 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then he quotes Isaiah. Hear it this morning. See it this morning. May God give us 2020 vision this morning. 700 years previous in this dark, foul, bleak situation, God brings a message of hope that couldn't make sense. And yet now, Matthew says, one has come who does it. He fulfills it. It makes sense. 
Yes, he's going to be the mighty king who will triumph over his enemies and bring in a good kingdom. And yet, he is Jesus saves, not because in his first, uh, his first arrival, he, he comes and he conquers the Romans or conquers the corrupt religious leaders, but rather he comes and he deals with the wickedness in us, the suffering servant, dealing with our transgressions and our sins. He is God because the Holy Spirit put the second person, the Trinity, in Mary's womb, and yet he's born of a virgin. He's of David because we know both Mary and Joseph are of the tribe and lineage of David. And Joseph even adopts him as his own. It's true. Look, scholars don't debate or or disagree that Isaiah was written prior to Jesus' birth. They might quibble over a hundred years, but it was written hundreds of years before they all agree. And yet, here Matthew is saying, do you see it? Do you see it? He's come to deal with our sins. He's come to deal with this, which is the real problem. It turns the world on its head, but it's true. We can see it, and you can see it this morning, can't you? Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Because he's dealing with this. And I know this is the problem. I pray, I pray that God would allow us to see Jesus as Matthew presents him. And maybe for some of you, it is the first time that you see Jesus this way. And you realize this morning, my heart is filled with sin. I can't blame it on the milk. My heart is filled with sin. And I am so grateful that Jesus saves his people from their sin. And when we take of this bread and this cup in a moment, a meal that is for believers, for the first time in your life, or maybe the first time in years, or the first time in your adult life, you are going to take this and say, the death of Jesus is for me. His body was for me and his blood was for me. For others of us, it's like that blind man. We've been able to see Jesus, but just kind of in these vague, hazy images. And today we're seeing him with greater clarity. And we realize this is a savior that I need to know more deeply and I need to make known more fully. And as we, as the body of Christ, gather around this table, we celebrate the one who fulfilled the hope Isaiah held out, the mighty king, son of David, virgin-born God with us, who was the suffering servant who would bear our transgressions, who would save his people from our sin. Let us pray. Father, move in our hearts.
this isn't the sum total of everything your word says about Jesus. There's so much more we can learn and Matthew will teach us. But give us eyes to see by your Holy Spirit. Help us to see Jesus. Yahweh saves. Born of a virgin. God with us. And may that 